welcome to Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. Good evening, Black Light family. We have a very special guest. Her name is Victoria. I'm glad to have her on because I think that this is a very important topic that needs to be discussed that isn't discussed a lot. So today we'll be speaking about mitigation and how important it is. And without further ado, I will introduce Ms. Victoria Rusk and she can give us a little background. Just tell us, you know, how you got started in mitigation and how important it is to you. Thank you for having me on the show. Hello, specifically North Carolina. (laughs) So how myself, who am I, Victoria Rusk, mitigation specialist, I would say this day and age, I'm a mitigation expert now. And I had started mitigation in 2011. And just to give that a little bit of context, in 2003 is when the ABA guidelines made mitigation mandatory in capital cases. In 2011, I got hired to work for an organization that only they only did capital cases. And so I learned mitigation back then about how to do it specifically for capital cases. And that's really all mitigation was available for back then. And I worked for that organization for almost two years. And then I started my business, Heart of Justice. And I have lived in Texas mainly, but I've taken cases all over the United States. So from 2011 to now, my background before that is in journalism and public relations. And I worked in um, PR for the Epilepsy Foundation, where I did learn a lot about the brain. And I've always been fascinated about neuroscience. Of course, I learned a lot working just as a newbie, right? And when I worked for this public defender's office, The thing is, is that when I started my business as an entrepreneur, I really got to go to the trainings I wanted to go to. I got to hire who I wanted to hire to get me where I wanted to get and go. And I probably, you know, and then I networked and there's just this big entrepreneurial component of being a mitigation specialist too, especially back then we didn't have, we still don't have enough jobs, mitigation jobs. But back then when I'm running my business and I'm learning so much about capital murder cases, it probably was going to be about... Well, in 2017, I started writing and producing Mitigation University, which is the online course. And then in 2020, during the pandemic, I wrote the book, The Handbook for Mitigation. And so I've always wanted to like further the career field and how do we do that? Because it was really disheartening to be out here working and people not knowing who you are, what you're doing and why you're doing it and being really skeptical of it. And so it became more of my mission to be a mentor and a coach and an educator about mitigation more so than anything else. And that's primary where I spend my focus on now. I do take cases, but I am really picky about it because burnout is real and compassion fatigue is real. And I just want to be honest about some of the hurdles that are in this business too, you know, so... First things first, like I was a journalist, so I knew how to write and I knew how to organize information because I worked in TV news for a long time. And that's kind of how I learned more about being a good interviewer and stuff. And then when I got in the business now, 12 years, you know, I think that like I'm perfecting it and coaching it and helping other people build their business and their careers where whatever that looks like in a variety of ways with a variety of people. That's amazing. You know, a lot of people don't really understand what mitigation is. If you ask the average person there and you're like, well, do you know what mitigation is? They're like, no. (laughs) So can you explain to us what mitigation is and why it's important to the criminal justice field? So mitigation for criminal defense is for any criminal case, really. And so it's not just for capital cases. That's just kind of where it started. But now it's growing beyond that. And what we're doing as a mitigation specialist or what a mitigation investigation is, is to learn about not only the person and who they are so that they can be uniquely punished, right? So if we go into punishment or we go and we have a hearing or there's a negotiation, we have to first face it that everybody, mainly everybody, there's not a lot of people walking. You know, whenever we get to celebrate a not guilty, we're like, I'm there with you. I don't want anybody to go to prison. 
And I want people to be able to prove it and that they have to do their job for a person to go to prison. I mean, my whole thing is, is that people are getting punished. If you are indicted, if you are arraigned, it's a 90, 99% chance you're going to get punished. And so what mitigation does is it's able to give those decision makers, jury, judge, or a prosecutor in a negotiation, the information they need to mitigate a sentence less than the maximum. And so mitigation investigation starts with meeting the person who's accused and learning about them through their, through who they are. We do not investigate the crime. We investigate right. the person and we separate to a certain degree the, the alleged crime and the person. And so we're researching them through records and their, their timeline of their life. And we're interviewing a variety of people who are around this person and molded this person to be who they are. So it starts with the person who's accused, of course, and spending a considerable amount of time with them. And then it moves to family, friends, community members, school teachers, coaches, previous employers, co-workers, classmates, like you name it. You know, in a capital murder case, I can interview 80 to 100 people easy. And then not all of those people are, you know, but they can get reached out to. In non-capital cases, you know, that might look like interviewing 10 to 12 people. It just depends. It might only be three. It just depends on what we're working with because there's a lot of variables. But you're interviewing all these people to get a glimpse at certain chapters or times in this person's life that would be, that would like collaborate some of the mitigating factors of their life, whether it's records or an affidavit or somebody who comes in to testify to say, oh yeah, I could see the difference in this person before their head injury and after their head injury or something like that. So you're basically gathering information to do like a character to explain to the jury what a character, the character of the person to humanize them more or less and understand, hey, well, this person has been through this in their childhood life. And this is what could have possibly led to this accusation that you are accusing them of. So that's what mitigation is to build the character of the person that's accused, right? Yes. The, there's a lot of different type of mitigation that I want to bring in there. There are character witnesses that say so much more deeper information about who this person is. And one of the things, if you write a character letter for somebody, what I would suggest people to do is that you're going to say how you know them, like how you met and who you are in the community, right? To put your own value and humanize yourself too. And then you're actually explaining how this person, giving examples of how this person showed love to you or you showed love to them. That's actually humanizing them. So there is a character, like the character development part that's there. And some of this is like what I would call more soft mitigation because it's like, this is a good person. They've helped me before. I trust them with my children. They worked with me for this many years. They have this kind of work ethic or they were in my class during this time. And I remember whenever I was going, they were there for me when I was going through something. Yes, I would consider that soft mitigation, hard mitigation. I have evidence from medical records, military records, education records that this person actually has a learning disability. And then I have teachers who have witnessed this person's learning disability before age 18 when they were in school. So now we're talking about hard mitigation evidence. Does that make sense? Right. So yeah, a lot makes- of times people want to think that mitigation is some kind of like form of covering up some of the bad or whatever. No, it's the real story. It's the real why behind the crime. And I say alleged crime because they're not guilty or not guilty because punishment is a lot of times after they've pled guilty or they're found guilty. You know, a lot of times a mitigation specialist isn't going to be called on to a case unless the attorney is just like, all the cards are stacked against him and I need to help. You know, how do I explain this? I mean, Honestly, I have, I really don't get to work on certain cases that people wouldn't label heinous. Do you think that that is, I guess, an added factor that should be added? Like it shouldn't just be capital punishment. Like in here in North Carolina, you only get mitigation for capital punishment. And I feel like there's a lot of people who have mental health disabilities, who've had trauma, generational trauma that haven't committed heinous crimes, but the audience should know that because just, you know, there's a lot of people who have autism. And that's a lot of times not even brought up in their case when it's not even a heinous crime. That's a travesty. And yes, I mean, so North Carolina sitting over there, Texas was like this at one point too. So I just want to say that there is opportunity 
for mitigation for all criminal cases, right? The lawyer's got to know that it's there. They need to have access to a mitigation specialist. And at some point in time, North Carolina will get some more and more and more. And investigators too, they need to know this kind of thing too. And the prosecutors and the judge need to be educated about, you know, the behavior that leads up to and or the symptoms or the, the mental illness, the brain injuries, the intellectual disability that can lead up to criminal behavior and like how that's happening, why that's happening. All professionals honestly need to have a mitigation muscle in this day and age because prosecutors, whether they like it or not, they're begging for it. They want to know this information and the jurors do too. All of our crime TV shows and First 48 and Dateline and all that kind of stuff. All that's mitigation. Yeah, you know? especially Dateline. And when you're able to get it before punishment, like the punishment hearing, whenever to front load mitigation in the guilt innocent phase of the trial, you're actually being able to, you know, share this kind of information and that somebody can make that a mitigating factor if they decide that they're not that guilty or they don't need to be punished this much or whatever, right? I mean, I just want to say too that yes, every case, because like you're saying, people who have uh, misdemeanors or who have low rank felonies, you know, they could be autistic, they could be bipolar, they could be schizophrenic, they could be on their, like during the onset ages of these mental illness. So they're growing up all through their teenage years and they hit 18, 19, 22, 23, and they start to have mental illness symptoms that can be documented and seen if you know how to listen for it. Right. So yeah, all that information has to come up, but it's about, you know, we're on the stage in our country right now where we're, when it comes to mitigation, that people are getting educated and they know about mitigation, but they don't necessarily know how to use it all the way. And when they do, they're still trying to work through some of the courage and they're still trying to work some through some of the political factors that come with, you know, knowing the stuff that you know and making sure you have not just the soft mitigation evidence, but the hard stuff too, to be able to prove it up and show patterns and things. And so that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because I knew people know what's going on. Like I, it was so frustrating being a mitigation specialist and, oh, you know, like I, I love lawyers. Like, right, like right. those are my coworkers, you know, and, and helping them get it and understand it. Sometimes I, too, had to say, Victoria, this lawyer is not going to be able to do on 180 degree turn. We're going to have to get them to 30 degrees first. And then if they do that and they feel successful, they'll do 50 degrees next time. And that's really how it works. And having this level of compassion, too, for my you know, my coworkers, the lawyers and or to help them help the DA see some other things or present certain mitigating evidence to mm. judges and allow the judge to understand stuff like that you can Google like frontal lobe development. You can Google that stuff. Like it's out there for everybody to know. And yeah. so how do we like set them up to be able to see stuff that we're not you know, bullshitting them. We're like really helping all know how this person got to be where they are. And some of the circumstances are understanding like it does, it really does connect the dot. And a lawyer being so proud that he has this type of information, evident, and whether it's records or people to come testify to, that lawyer feels that much more supported. And then the cards fall where they fall. You don't, right. you can't, you don't ever get to have, okay, well, I presented all this evidence. And so that means this person is only going to get 20 years or only going to get this. I mean, sometimes the negotiations can be so much more merciful, but it, they, people are factoring in that, the alleged crime. They really are. And you can't get really get away from that. So you have to embrace it and just be honest about what we're looking at here and the Do DNA you? and all the, you know, all the stuff that comes to the table with so many people. Right. That's true. Do you think that if jurors had, if more jurors had this pertinent information, do you think that people would have a lesser severe sentence or if prosecutors made sure that they had this information, which could be in, in a way exculpatory evidence for them, and even judges knowing this information, do you think that that would change the criminal justice landscape or are we just stuck in, in some states are just stuck in the the part of being tough on crime and this per person committed crime and then they have to hear the public come back to them and be like, well, they should have got life without parole and 
you let them get away and they only got 20 or 15 years. Like, how do you, how would prosecutors and judges handle that type of backlash? Because you know they would get it. Yeah, I mean, my thing is that, you know, voters are voters, so we have to let them do their, their, you know, how that kind of plays out. But I mean, I've never heard a judge come and say, you know, they're not going to admit, I'm scared to be lenient here because I get this and this. But and a lot of times they have they have a lot of powers doesn't mean they have a lot of autonomy. And so they can be but if you give them the information and they think that other people people their counterpart or even their neighbor like if the neighbor like if they knew all this kind of stuff like they would understand. You know? And so, I mean I just feel like it has to get trendy and then it becomes more, right? But first what has to get trendy let's say in North Carolina is getting a mitigation specialist on the case. That has to get trendy first you know, about it, it changing the landscape? Yes, because I've changed the landscape here in Houston, Texas. Like you, when I first started here, you weren't able to have an interview room access as a mitigation specialist. But I got those court orders like it wasn't shit. And I went in there and did it. And then they would have a sign, you know, saying that like everybody would need to be cuffed, this and that. I mean, you know, there, there was rules that were shifted and changed for the betterment of the the product, right? Like doing mitigation, having a better defense. And so now, I mean, I think everybody does it, but at first they weren't doing that. And so it takes people who are change makers to kind of go and push it a little bit, right? And so mm -hmm. I had to be courageous talking to lawyers who didn't know me because I was new to Houston or whatever, um, asking for what I want. And I had to be willing to walk away. And that's the other thing about that takes courage is saying, okay, if you're going to do it like this, then you got to find somebody else. Well, luckily, you know, in 2011, 2012, there wasn't other people. Right. Well, there's not that much to choose from. You know, you have to know where your, where your power is too and where to flex. And that's part of that. But I mean, I would just say, you know, there's, there's stages to this. And I, I really do understand that and get that. And depending on where somebody is or what they're able to do and their own personal goals and courage, like all those things really are a major factor in doing the work. And I mean, I take in the whole person, you know, I'm all about holistic criminal defense. And I mean, it's holistic all the way from the mitigation specialist to the criminal defense to the, team, to the court, you know, mm -hmm. and I, you know, as soon as I learned like what community organizing was and how poor, powerful it was, well, then I started applying that to criminal defense cases. Right. But not all mitigation specialists do that. But I know what it is and what it's doing, you know, and I don't have a, I'm not afraid to talk about mitigation with anybody. So then I do you know, the word does get around and that's for any mitigation specialist. But I mean, changing the landscape looks like the core accepting mitigation as a profession. And then lawyers either learning the mitigation, how to do a mitigation investigation themselves, like how to actually do it, then how to present the information. There's, there's a lot of dots. There's a lot of dots to connect. It's not just ABC, one, two, three. It's, it's, a, it's complicated. There's a lot of soft skills. Some lawyers and or investigators don't have these soft skills, but some people who maybe have a background as a journalist or an anthropologist or a social worker or a teacher or a nurse would. And it takes a, a variety, a community, you know, of people. Yeah, and so, yeah. um, you know, and now I'm in the part, part of my career where I'm like willing to push the envelope. Like, I'll teach anybody to do mitigation. And then if you got the hustle, you can go out there and do it. Now, not a lot of people, that's not a popular thing to say. You know, people get real protective of the career and all this kind of stuff. But I know a gatekeeper when I see one. And so we do our, the next best thing, what that looks like. And I mean, what the book is written in eighth grade English so that more people can have access to the information. Cause not everybody is going to get access to a mitigation specialist. So everyone can know and go to like a, a mom or a spouse or a loved one can go to a lawyer and say, hey, I know this information and I want to tell you that my brother was in a special needs class and I know his teacher. We need to get these records. Mm -hmm. and, and that's very important. And we're growing and we're cooperating because that's what all of us want in criminal defense as a professional. We want cooperation, you know? And so if we have the information in the hands of the people who are actually getting you know, negatively impacted be because of their family member in this situation, and they know that there's a way and there's some, they have the willingness, then, you know, we can really get somewhere. Yeah. And I'm glad you made that book because a lot of 
a lot of parents and individuals don't know about mitigation. So when their child is caught in a capital murder case, they do have a mitigation specialist. But I've seen in some cases where the mitigation specialist, in my opinion, gets the bare minimum of the information. Like they may be like, oh, well, they finished high school and they have a job when you have like a list of things on your mitigation form that you could go find out, you know, what kind of childhood trauma do they go to? Are they adopted? You know, they have any type of mental health disabilities, learning disabilities. And a lot of that is just not done in depth. It's just, I've seen a lot of mitigation papers where it's just the bare minimum where it's, you had a job and you have children. And so it's important that not only does the legal community understand mitigation, but the community in itself understand mitigation? Because if we understand it, then we're able to push for policy change. We're able to push the lawyer to be like, hey, you know, sir, there's some more information that needs to be in this file that you're missing that you could defend that could help my son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter. So it's important as a community that we really understand the things that's going on in court and that we understand how to help our loved one if we're ever caught in that situation. So my next question to you is where are the key steps involved in implementing a mitigation, like a really good mitigation plan? There are so many ways to answer this question. So it just like depends on what the resources are. You know what I'm saying? And what I hear you saying is, is that it's disheartening to get 50 or 100 hours of a mitigation investigation on a capital murder case, how would we even get 10 hours on a misdemeanor case, you know, or a juvenile case, you know? And so I just want to say to you that it's so sad. It's so sad because I know it's, I'm really disappointed right now because I know there is access and, and ways to get a thousand hours on a capital murder case because I've done it and I know other mitigation specialists who have too because the industry standard is 400 hours. And um, so I just want to say that first is that the industry standard for a capital case is 400 hours. And that means that to me, a standard means that that's low. And um, because criminal defense standards, you know, criminal justice is needing reform so bad. So the standards, a lot of places are low. And so I feel confident saying that. Um, but to get more hours on criminal defense or on a capital murder case for sure would be like getting an affidavit from me and from like my mentors and other mitigation specialists that can, they will hold a hearing about mitigation saying we have to have these, this kind of work done. And so somebody in whatever community is, you know, hearing this, I don't care what state it is. This is how things get done that there's going to be actual hearings and stuff. And that, that the hearing goes on the record about how important mitigation is. And then there's evidence, evidence and affidavits that are submitted to the court to convince the court that this is important work. That's how the change happens, right? Right there in one jurisdiction, in one courtroom. So that would have to be every single courtroom in every single jurisdiction, right? People right. are like coming to the plate, like coming to the, coming to up to bat about mitigation, right? So that's one thing. Okay. So then. When we think about just like whoever you know or whoever I know and people are coming to me and saying, okay, this is what happened. My, my son was involved in an, and got involved in this, you know, alleged crime and I don't know what to say to do, whatever, whatever. Okay. Number one, if you need a lawyer, you needed it yesterday. It's not now. Like you already know that you were like needing that kind of help. And there are, there, you know, the resource that I have, the handbook for mitigation, of course, people who know me or know you or know, no. They know how to get their hand on that, you know, downloadable copy or whatever on the website. Um, and so there's that all the information is right there. But just for other people who are maybe just listening to this for the first time, you know, I'm going to say that, that um, if you can't get a professional mitigation specialist and you need to know, you need to Google mitigation and learn a little bit about it and then go have a conversation with the attorney about it, right? About who say, you know, well, what can you tell me about mitigation? And I want to say too, attorney, example guy or girl, you know, you don't maybe know what it is all the way because I know that this is a new concept. This is a relatively new concept in criminal defense. And so I'm learning too, and I want to bring it to your attention. And then as a legal professional, as a mitigation expert, I'm going to tell you to document that. Document everything, all the interaction that you have and still be compassionate towards your, uh, your loved one's attorney. Because this is complex and you can be both. You can be a really good advocate and you can, you know, document everything that you do and have witnesses to it too. 
right? Because you don't ever know what's going to happen in a hairy situation. So that's the other thing too, is inviting the attorney to understand what the mitigation is. And if you know what it is and you can point it out because you know that your loved one has a mental illness or a behavioral disorder or a head injury um, or an intellectual disability, then those are the, those are the key things that you got to know about. That's actually hard mitigation evidence. Okay. Right. Because you can go to the lawyer as say, you know, I'm wanting to talk to them about my daughter. And I go and I say, hey, you know, my daughter, you know, I, ha- I held her back in third grade. And I know that she has some learning disabilities, but I don't think that, you know, she's intellectually disabled. She's doing okay. But these are the other things. Also, this is all hypothetical. My husband and I got a divorce and that affected her really bad when she was 12, 13, 14 years old. And this is the symptoms and the things that I saw. And I got her in counseling and here are those records. Or I didn't get to get her in counseling because these were my financial restraints that I had. And this is what that looked like. And, you know, she has a teacher that I would get called by all the time. And I could, you know, go talk with her and see and tell her what's kind of going on. I mean, this is me as the mom having to rise above my own shame and rise above so many harsh emotions for myself towards myself and my my daughter to go talk to the lawyer about these kinds of things so this is the one of the big challenging things about people being their own advocate or their loved one's advocate because they're having to still do with some very crushing emotions to be objective it's almost humanly impossible that's why you want the professional Um, but it can happen it can happen and if you put your lawyer on to some of the mitigation evidence if you put them on or put them in the right direction in the most loving way possible and i just say that because they're already dealing with a hundred plus clients probably and so Mm -hmm. that's that's a problem with the system not the lawyer Mm -hmm. but we'll take it out on the lawyer but that's a problem with the system and we need to be able to see the difference with that and if we can come cooperative compassionate with some information they'll probably give you a little bit more time or energy because that's just the way it works. You know, that you're going to attract a lot more flies with honey than vinegar. Let's say, for instance, you don't have family support. How would you go about, like, how should that be handled when you don't have anybody to come and stand up for your, your innocence and say, hey, you know, my child had this, my child had that. We have a lot of kids that are in CPS and they don't have family support. They don't even know their families. And a lot of them, it's I think I read an article where it said 99% of them will end up in the carceral system. And so what do we do about those who don't have family support? How is that person going to know even what mitigation is? And how is that person going to be able to have a conversation if they only get three three? If that conversation's with their lawyer, how are they going to be able to even get the time that's needed to have the rapport that is required to share? I was, I was a foster. I'm a foster kid. Sometimes it'll come up, but that lawyer might not even get, might not even have a clue because they're not actually mirror entering, interviewing. They're not actually a social worker. They're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So they're not even knowing what they're hearing. So how do we, how, I don't even know how to answer that question because there's so many other complexities that come with that understanding. Yes. Is my book in some prisons and some jails? Yeah. But like, it ain't enough. I don't know how I would reach or how mitigation would reach that person unless people are talking about it in the jail. But do they even have the self-esteem and the security and the confidence to speak truth to power as a person accused of a crime to the lawyer. That's a big jump. So that's, I mean, truthfully, a helpless situation that there's no way for me to know how to answer that other than to do what I'm doing and what you're doing right here and advocating for this type of work for people to learn and to get, you know, a grip on them on having access to this information. That's why I think it's important to have advocates 
involved in with lawyers because that's what I did with one of my guys that I advocated for in 2021 who had a capital murder case and I was basically the one that was able to talk and go to the media and humanize him and have his family humanize him as well and I met his mitigation specialist I didn't see his paperwork to see what information she gathered but that's why it's important to have advocates because a lot of people don't have family support so if you have an advocate and they know about mitigation, they can go to Lori and be like, hey, I know this person, you know, was A, B, and C, and this person had this, and this person had that. So I think that we also have to change the way we look at the criminal justice system and not just put it on attorneys and prosecutors, but it has to be advocates. Just like how, you know, prosecutors have victim advocates. The defense don't have any advocates not at all. You know what I mean? So I think it's time for the defense attorneys to start looking and seeking to have advocates in their office to help them with things like that because you are you are going to come across clients who have no family support so they're not able to give you any background because sometimes they don't even know sometimes they're so traumatized they can't even tell you their background like when I looked at my husband's mitigation the only thing was on his mitigation paper was that he completed high school and that he had a job they forgot to mention that he was adopted that he was emancipated from a group home at 17 and that's what started you know a lot of his in and out of jail none of that was on there because he didn't have family support to be like oh well you know he went through this a b c and d so i think it's important that the defense starts trying to look into having a holistic public defender or at least having an advocate that can help you get to where you need to be to be able to defend your client to the best ability. I mean, because you're an advocate as well. When you're a defense attorney, your job is to be an advocate for your client. And then you need an advocate to help you in certain situations because a lot of times attorneys can't go and talk to the media. They have gag orders. So if you have an advocate like me and I was able to go talk to the media and have his family do press conferences and humanize him, then that made a big difference as to if I wouldn't have came in, then he probably would have got convicted of capital murder with no evidence at all. But it, it's important to start shifting the way that we do things in a criminal justice era and system. Hey, Black Light family, just another quick reminder to reach out to your commissioners and your secretaries of your DOCs, DACs, Department of Corrections, Department of Adult Corrections to demand and request, if you don't have one, an oversight board for the prison or some type of accountability for staff. I am going to be pushing the accountability and the change of culture in the prisons really hard. And I need for y'all to help me push this not only in North Carolina, but in United States period, especially the states that don't have an oversight board or have any type of accountability plans for their staff because you know as abolitionists we all want prisons to be abolished as soon as possible but we know that in reality we have a long way to go before we get there but in the meantime what we can do is demand and push to have a more humane and dignity environment and culture inside of the prisons just like they do in Norway and the only way to get those things is to demand those things and bring to the table to your commissioner and your secretary that you want to work with them as community activists and advocates and community members and formerly incarcerated and people that are incarcerated to work with them to help them be able to bring a better culture and a better way that staff can communicate with those incarcerated so there's support on both ends and that people are not looked at like oh well you know, you are an incarcerated lover or the foolishness that they teach them in training. So we have to reimagine what a compassionate, empathetic environment in prison can look like. And it's possible because it's been done in Norway and there's no reason why America can't follow suit. So we have to, as community members, activists, abolitionists, social justice reformists, whatever you want to call yourself, push for those things but we also have to bring them to the table we all have to have a seat at this table because it's not just going to take the prison but it's also going to take the community members the advocates the activists the abolitionists the social justice reformists the formerly incarcerated the now incarcerated to bring ideas to them because they might not have ideas being the fact that they 
have just been so cultivated into this me versus them type of environment that they do in America. So y'all reach out, reach out to your secretary, your commissioner, and ask them how you can come to the table and how you can have a meeting and really sit down and discuss meaningful initiative policies that can make a better environment for not only the incarcerated, but the staff, because the staff suffers as well. And so it's very important that we do this and we can do this together, y'all. So please, if you're in North Carolina, you know, you reach out to Todd Ishi, um, you reach out to Brandy Harris, you reach out to the chief secretaries, which are under Todd Ishi, any of the higher ups in DAC to see how we can all come to the table and make it better. And you can do that in your state as well. And we also can do it, you know, if you're from North Carolina, you can do the same thing in Georgia and you can do the same thing in Florida. And you're from, if you're from Florida and Georgia, you can come to North Carolina and do the same thing. All it takes is a call, an email coming up to the state to figure out how we all together can make a better environment for our loved ones that are incarcerated. Until the next time, y'all take care. Yes, yes. And I mean, and that's where it boils down to sharing and showcasing the injustices. So not having this information and that, you know, if all the mitigation that they actually did in your husband's case for capital murder, that's straight up ineffective. And that's an appeal process, right, that you have to go through and then the higher courts decide if somebody is ineffective or not. But if, you know, the ABA guidelines say 400 hours. So if you can't prove 400 hours, it's ineffective. Some judge could say that. So there's that. Okay. And I mean, to me, these are, you know, when you're talking to somebody with expertise, a mitigation specialist who has been able to work in certain counties or jurisdictions where um, I've been funded enough money to be able to work those amount of hours, like, I know that this stuff is possible and I'd be careful not to compare because comparing is losing. So I'd be careful about that. Right. But I just know that that is the whole, that is part of it. And then as an advocate, mitigation specialist and businesswoman, I had my guidelines and my standards for heart of justice high enough that I wouldn't work and or work with a lawyer who didn't get me the funding and the this and the that that I really needed to have the time. And, you know, so I had my own guidelines. I was so thoughtful about that once I was in the business and I was in and people were calling me a lot for work, I'd be like, oh, if you don't visit your client, I ain't working with you. Oh, if you don't get me $10,000, I'm not even going to start because this is capital murder. This costs money. We're about to have a million dollar trial. And you're talking about you're going to get me $5,000. This is child's play. You need to call somebody else to play with. And so once you have some confidence as a professional, you know, you're able to have these conversations and then you, you earn your respect and people earn their, uh, their right and they value their no just as much as their yes. And this is a process. We're talking about like I'm 12 years in the business now and people who've worked way more than me. Right. But you learn quick. And you do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. And for me, doing what I was supposed to do when I was supposed to do it was really faith-based. You know, I just had to have faith that um, things were going to happen when they were going to happen. Whenever I said no, the next day or the day after that, somebody would call me that I could say yes to. Right. Right. That's important. That's really important. I mean, because if you don't have boundaries and standards, then you're just going to get ran all over. And I mean, I you know, like, I don't know anybody in North Carolina, so I ain't trying to talk about nobody else, but that's what's happening there. Right. Because as a business foreman doing mitigation, if I worked in North Carolina, like I would make sure that my profession is valued in such the way. And I would organize my own mitigation community because that's what happened for me here in Texas is that the mitigation specialist was like, you are not working for that amount of pay. You are not doing that, Victoria. You can't do that. And I'd be like, okay, how am I going to make my money? How am I going to make my bills? How am I going to do whatever? And we were all helping each other, figuring it out so that way we could flex. Because that's how it happens. You know, there is no organized 
what is it called when when the when workers get together and they organize and then they have it right there ain't no mitigation union (laughs) there's none of that it was just like you know a a dozen a dozen ladies maybe there was a couple of guys in there that were choosing like we're gonna have to stand still for a little bit right yeah and i understand that because if you if you don't then they will you will be overworked and underpaid real fast. That quick is what's wrong with the criminal justice system right now. That's what's happening with the public defender's office right now all across America. I mean, that's what it is. That's why I can't. I mean, as an entrepreneur, this is going to be the smartest, best thing for me to be able to do and do with the work the way that I want to do it with my own, you know, guidelines and my own standards and keeping it high. And that I have no clients on death row because of that, because of my own choices. Oh, that's right, girl. <laughs> So tell us, what are some of the misconceptions about mitigation in the criminal justice field? I think that um, one of the misconceptions is, is that people think of a lot of the soft mitigation, like this is a good person and they, they just had a bad day and that, you know, they will do like some of the soft mitigation, like that they're good, you know, people because everybody is good. I never represented a bad, a bad person. I never did. Everybody is cool. They have the ability to love and be loved. And I met all their friends and family and other people too in their, in, the, in their lives that know who they are and where they are. And I'm talking about like just such rich lives, like such beautiful lives that I've got to witness. But I think that what happens, like how mitigation gets kind of like, they think that it's like really just a lot of crying ladies on the stand and some beggars and some, you know, begging for mercy and this and that. And it almost is a little dramatic. And sometimes people cry and it is dramatic, but if it's sincere, it's sincere. You know, where mitigation really is science, it's like this person was like this before their head injury and then they weren't like that anymore. And this is what depression looks like. And mitigation also is, you know, tracking somebody's timeline of their life. It's not silly. It's uncomfortable because real life is uncomfortable, you know? And when we talk about subject matters about how, what humanity can really do to each other way before crime, it's right. disgusting. And so it's just so terrible to look at the underbelly of the world, like to look at the underbelly of humanity. It is challenging. Oh, gosh. Like compassion fatigue is real. You know what I'm saying? I have my own secondary trauma from this kind of work. So I just want to say that, you know, it is it is not nice. It does not feel good. It, but if you work in criminal justice, I don't think that that's what nothing's nice. Nothing's good. So so that's kind of the part of it that's hard to really look at and and request a juror, request a judge to look at these things and figure out why this stuff happened. And how do you set that up? Well, it's hard work. And so that's part of, I think that people think that mitigation either A, needs to be easy or it's going to be better then maybe be doing something else in criminal justice or, you know, whatever. But it's so I think that it gets a bad rep because it think, they think that it's soft or it's mushy or it's like pulling on the heartstrings and, and, and in an inappropriate way. Well, yeah, if you try to connect the dots too fast, like people will totally um, say the most mean, rude, insincere thing, you know, about somebody's mitigation evidence. You know, something like real tacky. Oh, he killed these people because his daddy beat him when he was young. It's not like that, right? You're trying to connect this to this. Right, A to B. It's disgusting. Because you didn't become a whoever you are, a teacher, a judge, a cop, or whatever, whatever, because you you graduated from high school or because you got to be like the captain of the football team. So now you're the leader at the whatever, at whatever business you own. It's not, it doesn't go like that. We all have our human experiences, but I think that that's not, sometimes it kind of gets sidelined or people want to wrap it up real quick, right? Like they, you know, I don't even talk or spend time. If people ain't going to give me 20 minutes to talk about what I do, I'll be like, you know what? Google it. Because (laughs) if you're not going to allow me to be, to share and showcase some love and compassion for the people that I have represented and what beautiful things I have learned from them and their mom and their sister and how their family functioned and dysfunctioned and all the things that I was able to reflect back on my own life with my own family. You don't want to talk. You don't like, you know what I'm saying? You just want to tell me how much you believe in the death penalty or whatever. 
you know, so it kind of just goes like that. And, you know, I also know how to prioritize my own energy around the subject matter. But, you know, I think that that's kind of the thing that people think about mitigation. They're just like, oh, man, you you know, it's expensive. We can't afford that. Well, I mean, you can't afford injustice. Right. How can you afford that? How can you afford some of these you know, investigators or cops making bad judgment calls. How can you afford that? Or botching investigations? Yeah, totally. You know what I'm saying? And my thing is, is that when I see something like that, oh, I lean in. Because I know that they have mitigation too. And there's reasons why they're competing so hard and hiding and lying because something else is going on, either at home or they need to make a promotion or they need a lot of human things are happening in that kind of, scenario so let's just shed a light on it too mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to take the flashlight from us on the defense because we walk in there negative we at the bottom of the scale yeah we got to try to gain and get to zero and maintain you know but it's okay to show all the things that are going on here so people have all the information before they make a choice about somebody's life mm-hmm And that's all that we're doing is mitigation is evening the playing field a little bit. And a lot of times mitigation don't come in until after they're found guilty in a punishment phase or in a punishment hearing. You know, it's it's it takes a real professional, you know, somebody who is really like hardcore, who knows how to front load mitigation. Like I would love to teach people how to do this. This is why I have to switch over from doing my cases all the time to teaching people and mentoring them and coaching them. And, see, and helping them see when they get in their own way to do the next best thing. Yes, because there's a client that I know that has already been through the conviction phase, has been in prison for a very long time and been working on their case. And they had to go get a mitigation specialist to work on their case to bring it up for an appeal because no information was brought in at the time they were going through their case. You know, now it's backtracking instead of doing it from day one right you have to backtrack and go back and figure out all this old information and so if it's done right the first time then that saves them the time it saves you the time and then it saves them it could save their life period and i don't think people understand important that's really really important to remember that the appeal process and mitigation happening then it's low percentage all mitigation is winning doing all that work pre-trial and at trial level. Post-conviction, that's something else because you have to make sure you didn't sign a plea. You have to make sure you went to trial and you got found guilty and they didn't present anything for and or around punishment and that that was something that you actually had or that they could have used. So that's a lot of proven from 10 years, five years ago, you know, or more. Mm -hmm. And so it's like mitigation is all like, cashing in better for better outcome because what we're trying to do is mitigate a sentence less than the maximum and mm-hmm. here in texas you know a felony is five to 99 so that's a wide range and depending on what that looks like we can get it you know lower by presenting certain information still it depends on the da and it depends on the judge and if we can't get past them and you have a good mitigation specialist and a good lawyer who's a good storyteller and presenter, right? Then you need to take it to trial because th- let the jury hear it. If you can't get through through the judge or the prosecutor, then let the jury hear it. Because I tell you what, lawyers, they want to win. And if a prosecutor looks at some of the mitigation evidence in the negotiation part and they're figuring out, do we want to take this to trial or not? Because the, the prosecutor has to offer that plea. Mm-hmm. And so if they say no, no, or they think that they're going to lose, they'll offer a good plea. Some of that, that, that part of the negotiating helps us to determine, do we take it to trial or do we not take it to trial or not? You know, and if you don't have a good, if you're not a good lawyer, you don't have a good, you don't have a good defense, then no, you should plea, you know, but that's your own personal choice. It's just a matter of understanding how do we utilize this mitigation evidence for the maximum benefit. These attorneys love to tell you to take the plea. That's just yeah. what they've been trained to do. I don't know if it's because yeah, they're it's, over- not the, okay. it's not the only place. It's not the only place because I don't I don't know. But going to trial is has gone out of style or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
as they say, it, it takes millions and millions of dollars to go to trial. So it's easier just to hand out pleas than to take it to trial. But I mean, you have that right to prove they have to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, not it's just a risk. It's a big risk. And if you're dealing with someone you don't trust, you have to be careful there, too. Like this is a big part of the of a fat of a factor that we do need to think about or that I feel like anybody, you know, in general chatting and on this conversation we need to think about. It's a big choice. You're rolling the dice. You're taking a big risk. And if you walk into a courtroom and you don't trust your attorney and y'all don't really have integrity within that defense relationship, sometimes a lack of integrity looks like guilt to people who don't know what they're looking at. So you got to be careful because you already walking in there looking a little guilty. Right. Oh, a lot guilty here. (laughs) Right. And so then there's that part of it, of it. And then you, you have a, you're not on the same page as your attorney. You don't really know them all the way. You're, you know, you're really just taking a big risk and there's nothing wrong with risking big, you know, do what it is that you, what you need to do. I think that that's really important. It's just a personal choice. And anytime I've had a conversation with somebody who's at this crossroads and choosing on if they plea or go to trial. I mean, it's their choice. And my job as a mitigation specialist is to help them understand that choice. And the lawyer helps them understand and answers all the questions because ultimately we can't really make that choice from. We can advise them and I can say, what information do you need to know? Let me help you get it so you can make the most educated choice you can. And I also know that not everybody gets, you know, zealous representation. They are, it is, you know, the law that they get a lawyer. It doesn't mean they get a good one. Right. Mm-hmm. That is true. And that's huge, especially on the post-conviction side and, and talking with people who say, you know, because if I'm going to take a case post-conviction, there's so many conversations that need to be had between me and the lawyer and the lawyer and the client before I say yes to that because of the uphill battle that it is. And if they don't want, for me personally, for Victoria Russ. If you don't want a restorative justice approach to your appeal, you can count me out. Right. Because I want everybody to be involved. Yeah. And restorative justice is a major player. I think North Carolina has just started to bring it into our prisons, but it is such a game changer for the whole community. It's so important that every community has restorative justice in schools, in the court system, in prison, because that's how you heal your community, not just throwing people away. Uh, with life and and giving him the death sentence, you have to also heal the person that was wounded because they never get over that. And I've heard so many people say, "Oh, well, I don't feel better that they got life." Well, you're not because you haven't got to. You have to heal well, that hurt. Like, really, yeah, you don't know where that person is on their own healing journey too, and so that's why I bring it to the table. I'm willing to even go do. You know, I'm willing to go do all all the work, and. If you can't support this part of the, of the, you know, post-conviction, post-conviction investigation, then we just are not aligned because my work is holistic. My work as, you know, a criminal justice professional is spiritual too. I can't help it because we have to perform miracles. Yeah. That's what we are doing here. And I understand the miracle making process. So since I have this knowledge, I'm so thankful. I can't do it without the cooperation of all these other souls. So we, it's not even, we're just going to do it my way, but I can't do it any other way than how Victoria does it. And the way you do it is, this is the way it should be. But people have to get used to the change because they're not taught to yeah. do holistic. And so it's, right. it's hard for yeah. people and to I change. Yeah, and I mean, I try to be like, you know, I try to be cool about my way of doing things because I want people to come to me no matter what. I'm going to meet them where they're at. And if I meet you where you're at, then we're able to navigate with your strengths. Strength-based theory is the way that we navigate any case or any person, any job, any situation, circumstance is the strength-based approach on what people really can do and what they're good at. And then the other stuff gets ironed out. And that's the whole thing about like even trying to mitigate the mitigation because sometimes it is very traumatic and triggering. And it's not easy. So how do we be so smart? Well, we look at the strengths of the case. We look at the strengths of the person, the witness, the lawyer, the all that. And that's the part of how we put together this mitigation investigation and then how we're going to present it. 
And that's hey. individual to the thumbprint. Yeah. Let's so, you there's one last question. How can individuals or organizations support the work of mitigation specialists? I mean, I think that it kind of starts with a variety of different ways. You know, first things first, it would be like maybe depending on look, look who your community is. Okay. Is it a church? Is it a law school? Is it a, you know, a high school? Is it a boys and girls club? You know, is it your law office? Right. And what, where do you see that needs, you know, help? Right. One thing that I do like to communicate or talk to people about is, you know, mitigation campaigns and how do you actually do that? And, you know, because it could be anything from passing out flyers at the jail for the people who are visiting their loved ones, right? Like I have a flyer that I made that talks about mitigation witnesses and anybody that hits me up can get a copy of it. I'll just send it over, right? It could be churches who want to organize bail money, you know, so I have a friend who every Mother's Day, she raises money up to Mother's Day and then she bails out mollas at jail. And so this is, you know, when you're organizing around whatever your cause is, knowing what mitigation is, because you're going to meet people who need help. Mm-hmm. And, and then also it would be even like, I go do, I go do talks at law schools and stuff. And I'm happy to do any kind of, you know, education via the Zoom and everything. But it's, you know, so being able to, for law students to know what it is and to them to be able to go to trainings if that's not presented at in their curriculum. curriculum. And, and it's not. I know it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, you know, my online course, you know, is available and, you know, I'm thoughtful about who becomes my students, but it's just a matter of mitigation university being a part of the curriculum in all criminal justice, you know, departments and community colleges or at law schools or even clinics, you know, just knowing like what that is and how you organize that information. And then I would also say too that, you know, some of the campaigns can also just, um, one mitigation specialist like saying, oh, okay, I'm going to um, create, I'm going to look you know, through Google or Victoria's book or, you know, utilize the information that I learned doing mitigation cases and what I learned is true. And I'm going to create my own campaign. So that way, A, I can build my business. And that way I'm educating judges and going to criminal defense association seminars and conferences and, and chatting it up and talking about it. I mean, it really is, you know, feet to the pavement. A lot of times doing a lot of grassroots, I think right now, you know, like, I don't have, you know, a $50,000 budget to make billboards or whatever. But if I had access to that kind of money, well, then, you know, I'd do it. Um, It's just a matter of like where or how are things, you know, going. Um, I think that every person who is a mitigation specialist just like me should have their own course and should have their own book and should write something and or create, you know, um, accessible information for people. You know, that's the like the books that are out there about mitigation. They're great, but they're all technical. And I need a practical application. I needed to be able to give something to somebody like my grandma who could read mm-hmm. it and yeah. understand it and know what to do. And then she's going to be, you know, going to bingo and talking to whoever. And then they'll say, yeah, and, you know, and she will, you know, either have an extra book or tell me about it or, you know, I mean, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. Word of mouth is the best. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that's kind of how it goes. And then it grows and grows and grows. I mean, here I am 2023 doing, you know, a podcast with you. And so it's, and I, you know, I hope to do, you know, many, many more and you just never know, but it, it doesn't go fast because I want to say that a lot of the priorities right now are not mitigation. Bell reform. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the problems with the police department. Like in chance. Yeah, it's in, in, it's the innocent people who are in prison who are getting out. Those people are getting a lot of the, the criminal justice reform energy at the moment. And it's their time to shine. And soon we will care about the people who are found guilty and how they're treated. We'll get there. And I hope in my lifetime, but I understand where I'm at in the priority list. So I don't get crazy about, you know, like, some of the unrecognition that mitigation doesn't get this or that. I see what I see. I see people doing wonderful work. I see people, more mitigation specialists coming 
you know, into the profession and I see more public defenders offices offering jobs, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's happening and it is growing. And this is only in my 12 years that I'm seeing like there was no jobs in 2011 (laughs) unless you worked at uh, a handful of places. Right. And I mean, you know, so it was really, you know, there was like nothing. And now there's so much more. And I'm always sharing like on LinkedIn and stuff. But it's, you know, and I would say 10 years from now, I hope every public defender's office has a couple of mitigation specialists, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, when I went to talk to the students at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, I took your book and told them that it's important for y'all to understand mitigation and to, to really understand and navigate it because it's going to be important to your client, especially if you're going to be a defense attorney, you need a good mitigation specialist to help you. Like, you need that help. <laughs> You know, that takes yeah, some you know, you know, become one yourself. You know, there are a lot of lawyers that do mitigation because there's not enough of us. You know, that is true. And that like mitigation is the future, you know, like the algorithms are going to get us a little bit. I already know that that's coming. But I mean, mitigation and those mitigating factors, they're they're everything. They're everything. And people are not going to stop going to prison. You know, this is still going to be happening for a long while. It is a sense of our reality. But that to me, mitigation and understanding that skill and that how to how to how to present the information, how to actually gain the information honestly, and then present the information is its own key that's going to unlock the door and end mass incarceration. It will, and There's that's no doubt in my mind. That's There's the no goal. Doubt in my mind. And yeah, mm-hmm. and I understand, and that, that's the goal. And I think that that's what we need to start shifting to is mitigation and understanding it and make sure that we're advocating for that in all public defenders offices. Cause I mean, that's why I grabbed onto it because I'm like, this is something that could really help people, you know, not get a long period of time. Sometimes not even be found convicted of what they're being accused of because they have this background information of what this exactly. person has been through. Yeah. Um, right. Because I mean, the other thing I think too, is just creating access, right? So when you do a mitigation campaign or you're sharing the book, like you're actually creating access for people who are going to have strong voices in their community to have the information. And like me and my approach to mitigation and where I'm at is that, okay, I have the book in English. Now I need to get it in Spanish. And then I'm going to create, you know, a whole campaign just for Spanish speakers. And so creating access if you give Broad, somebody the information right. and they're going to turn around and turn it into exactly what it is that they need, mm-hmm. you know, it's the gatekeepers that we need to look for and put our arm around and be like, oh, we don't do that no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have a copy of your book with you? You can show it to yeah. the live audience that's watching. And there it goes. The little blue book. The, the little blue book. <laughs> I love it so much. Please, y'all, I will actually put her link to her website down in the description. Please go check out Victoria's website. Please, if you are interested, sign up for her one one of her mitigation classes. I'm telling you, it will change your life. Definitely purchase the book and leave a comment. We're going to wrap things up. Victoria, tell us where we can, if anybody wants to reach out to you, where they can find you. I will put all your your web information in the description and on the podcast um, pod when we release the audio so that everybody can have a chance to be able to reach out and see your stuff. Okay. I appreciate that. So my business is Heart of Justice. I'm heartofjustice.org, mitigationuniversity.com. You can find me on LinkedIn and you can find me on Facebook. Yeah. And that's, that's it. That's where I'm at. Yes. And then, I mean, you can also there's, I've been on a few other podcasts that you can find on YouTube as well. And if any of this information touches your heart, please reach out to me. Let's have a conversation. Invite me to your community, please, to have this same or similar conversation. I would love to do a presentation or even a Zoom for whoever, wherever. It doesn't, it doesn't even have to be a professional organization. I do civic groups and churches and share this information because we are all impacted by crime and the why, the real why behind the crime is happening in all of our family. So let's, yeah, let's like know this information and talk about it and yeah. So Change our communities. <laughs> yes, in our world. Yeah. yeah. And thank you so much for 
allowing me to come on your on your show and share this information and you know just let my this is so aligned for me and it feels great well thank you thank you for all your great work It, it takes a strong person to to be in a force to do what you're doing and and you are changing you're changing the community each 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 day at a time and so i hope that we can get you up here in north carolina to speak i know we're having another cle in february uh for the students and i would love for you to come speak to them because i just it's important for them to understand mitigation and really understand it but yeah we'll talk more offline about that but thank you so much you're so welcome you're so welcome i just want to say you know shout out to my mom and dad because they they created me to be who I am. And so I'm just glad for them because they, they helped me be the light in the world too. They create a fighter over here. You hear me? She ain't nothing to play with. You look at her, you be like, oh, she's a fighter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. Y'all take care until next time. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care.